The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the world of New York City real estate. And at this hour, buying an apartment requires a lot of time and effort, but what you should do to make the buying process manageable is very important. Lenders generally recommend that people look for apartments that cost no more than three to five times their annual household income if the home buyers plan to make a 20% down payment and have a moderate amount of other debt. But you should make this determination based on your own financial situation and your banker's advice. We will talk to Spencer Corrente from Guard Hill Financial this morning and learn about that process. Also at this hour, the concept of a doorman and an apartment where very rich people live in a very New York, is a very New York thing, which emerged back in the 1920s. We are going to talk about what is a white glove building and how did the term come into the fabric of New York City living. Plus, the panel is here as always for our hot topic discussion. But first, I'd like to welcome our listeners uh, from the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York. Uh, On the Voice America Network, I am your host, Vince Rocco. Each week, we bring you all the news that is relevant to your real estate success, regardless of what part of the process you belong to. You can always email me here at the show or at vrocco at halstead.com or on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. In the news today. Such a social media presence. Such a social media (laughs) presence. (laughs) Lately, for sure. All right, in the news today, the Secret Service has vacated its command post inside Trump Tower in Manhattan following a dispute between the government and the President Trump's company over the terms of a lease for the space, according to two people uh, familiar with the discussions. Previously, the Secret Service had stationed its command post, which houses supervisors and backup agents on standby in case of an emergency in a Trump Tower unit one floor below the President's apartment. But in early July, the post Uh, was relocated to a trailer on the sidewalk more than 50 floors below, a distance that some security experts worry would hamper the agency that protects the president's home and family. The command post appears unlikely to move anytime soon back inside Trump Tower, where the president and his family have rarely gone since moving to the White House. On Thursday, a spokeswoman for the Trump Organization said the government should seek space in another location. So there you have it, and I'm going to keep my mouth shut on that one. Uh, It is nice to know that not everyone who's made it big feels the need to be part of the Hampton scene. We're talking about Rachel Ray, who uh, the definitively upstate girl whose Glens Falls, New York upbringing helped make her an appealing and accessible celebrity chef. It turns out Ray, Ray, Ray Lord Hamptons, real estate guru, isn't that something? It turns out Rachel Ray is so connected to her upstate heritage that she's selling her sumptuous little Southampton estate, little Southampton estate for $4.9 million because she and her husband would rather summer in their custom home in Lake Luzerne, upstate near Lake George. 
The Wall Street Journal reports that Rachel and her husband, uh, John Cusimano, bought the three-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bathroom Southampton's Ranch in 2008 for $2.8 million. The property spans a whopping six acres and includes a pool. Brown Harris Stevens has that listing. There was never a doubt that Robert A.M. Stern's luxurious and formidable-looking residential condominium development at 20 East End Avenue would swiftly attract uh, well-heeled fans to take the plunge. Now, about eight months after the first residents started moving in, the stately 17-story structure is about 75% sold out, according to the Corcoran Sunshine Marketing Group professionals. With a one uh, 6,050-square-foot penthouse unit priced at $35 million, a slew of other sprawling units that average over 3,400 square feet with anywhere between two and five bedrooms. These are truly house-sized residences, all decked out in marble, herringbone, hardwood floors, custom millwork, and Gaganau appliances. The average list price of the three units currently on the market, there are a total of 11 units unspoken for, is $6.1 million, which clocks in at around $2,418 per square foot a sign of the rich blood behind this new landmark on 80th Street. Actually, 2418 doesn't seem like a lot of money per, per, per square foot for that. Relative. <laughs> well, it's always relative, but I mean, you know, considering where it is, I think that's not a bad price, right? 20 East End Avenue? <clears throat> I think that location is going to blow up. I mean, I think that, In that, a good that, way? In a good way or not? Yeah, yeah, for sure with the, with the subway and all the retail that's going to come up there. You're going to have some tra- – like La Esquina already opened up on 74th and 2nd. Like stuff like that from downtown. I think I've been working over there for about four months now, and i got to tell you something. That 2nd Avenue subway really has made quite a difference. I mean, I mean, really game-changer, life-changing difference. It's unbelievable. I think that building's a sleeper. I think yeah, I think so too, actually. Um, so anyway, that's that's what's going on there. But East End Avenue has always been one of those locations that is like all the way over there, right? And when I lived on the east side, I used to think to myself, who? I mean, I used to like it because it was quiet and serene and it was by the water, by the parks. But you'd go over there and you think, it's so far out of the way, but it's beautiful. Uh, it, was like, it was like Siberia, but now it's, it's like no, but I used to say it's like living in Queens, right? It's all <laughs> the way on the other side of the, that, that defining line. Sean's right, though. The project's amazing. If you can... Get, get someone there and they will fall in love with it. It's I gorgeous. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm a big uh, Stern fan, so I'm going to get over there uh, at some point. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about mortgage today. We have uh, Spencer Corrente from Guardhill Financial. Uh, Guardhill was established in 1992. It's a New York City-based mortgage banker and brokerage company. Guardhill has maintained their reputation as one of New York's premier luxury mortgage providers. Their platform as broker and banker enables them to arrange the broadest spectrum of loans, delivering the best rates and the best service on each transaction. Over the past 24-plus years, Guardhill has arranged in excess of $15 billion in residential uh, mortgage loans. It's interesting to see, you know, when I first came into the business, mortgage brokering was very uh, big. And then it kind of turned around a little bit. It went to direct bankers at, you know, the big banking institutions in the, in the city and, and wherever. Now it seems like we're trending back towards the mortgage broker again, who will work with any bank that they need to, to get the right deal for their clients. And I think, you know, ultimately that's sort of how I was born and raised with a mortgage broker uh, part of the business. And I kind of like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with Spencer this morning. Um, You know, Spencer, so, you know, why is it different here than in any other place in the country? Let's just start with, you know, I want to buy a house or I want to buy an apartment and there's a process that's involved. But we all know that here in New York City, that process can be 
a little different than the rest of the world, just like anything about New York City is a little different than the rest of the world, especially the rest of the nation. What, what's so different about the process here? Yeah, absolutely, Vince. Uh, first, thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it. And I'm Our looking pleasure. forward to this conversation. So the mortgage process itself isn't very different being in New York City, but there are a lot of factors that go into getting a mortgage and those can differ in New York City. For example, uh, the type of property that an individual is buying. So if you're in a rural area of America, right? Think of someone purchasing a single family residence, a white picket fence, right? Only deal with that individual property. Now in New York City, you have individuals buying co-ops, cooperatives and condominiums. And when you're purchasing in one of these two entities, right? These two assets, it's a building that's full of individual units. So if you're getting a mortgage in a condominium, um, that condominium as a whole might actually have a mortgage on it. So, you know, you're, you're getting a mortgage on something that already has a mortgage on it. And the lender really needs to be comfortable with that property. So they'll do they'll, their due diligence on that actual property as well. Um, and especially with co-ops. Do you guys work it with co-ops often? I wanted to ask you guys, not to interrupt, but but that's a good point that Spencer brings up. So, for example, you're buying into a co-op, okay? So, a co-op generally has a mortgage on the entire building, including the common spaces and whatever else, because it's a private corporation. You are going in and you're buying a unit and you're getting a mortgage on your unit. So, what happens, for example, we all know that if you as the unit owner defaults, it sort of kind of goes back to the co-op, whatever. But what happens if the co-op defaults on their loan? How does that affect you as the unit owner who has private mortgage on that unit. I mean, I've never really thought about that until this moment. It kind of just light bulb went off and I'm like, well, what happens? Sure that there's something that will happen if you don't, if, if some, if the building doesn't pay their mortgage, but I, you, do you guys know, has it happened? I mean, can you think of a situation uh, where it's I actually haven't heard of it happening? I mean, I've heard of smaller buildings downtown having issues with, um, not really defaulting on their mortgage, but issues with refinancing and then they take it the, you know, it because it, it's a smaller building, it's almost like everyone in the building is part of the greater idea. Right. Does that make sense? I was just going to say, as you were speaking, you just reminded me, one of the reasons why it hasn't happened, or maybe rarely has happened, is because they have the power to assess and to raise maintenance. So, I mean, unless you're talking about a very small building where you raise maintenance and it won't, you know, there's not, aren't enough shareholders that could sort of, you know, pick up the slack. But generally speaking, they do have that power. You know, it's like a government having the power to tax you know, so generally they can raise enough money, I think. Um, so I think that's why it hasn't really happened. I'm sure there is something that does happen, Vince. I just don't know legally what would happen, but and, and it, it knowing, almost never happens. And knowing the nature of co-ops, you know, they pretty much will keep themselves very protected and keep themselves, you know, without any kind of risk such as, you know. Would they be able to declare like bankruptcy or something? Like some I, that, chapter 11 protection? That's like what that? I was thinking. I don't know. And, and if that did happen, I can only just imagine what, you know, the unit owners or the bankers, you know, who have the loans on these unit owners, you know, uh, what what would ensue. Anyway, before we go to commercial, uh, Spencer, we'll continue after the break. But so when a, when a buyer, you know, starts to apply for the, the pre-approval uh, getting ready to get to the point where he's actually now going to buy something, what's the, what is... How long is that pre-approval process and what are the steps? So the pre-approval process, it doesn't usually take very long. could be 24 hours, could be 48 hours. It really depends on the client you're working with and um, how quickly they can get you the information you need. So for the pre-approval process, 
Um, at Guardhill, we like to collect documentation just to verify that everything the individual is saying is factual. Um, but the pre-approval process, we would look at the client's income, their assets, and their credit, right? So income, if they're salaried, we need to make sure that they get whatever they're, sal- whatever they're telling us they're making. So we like to look over their pay stubs. And we, we have the rule of two in mortgages. Um, you need two years tax return. You need the last two months bank statements for their asset accounts. You need the, their last two pay stubs. So once we get all this information, uh, we'll dissect it accordingly and we'll determine whether or not they qualify for that mortgage. And once we, we know they qualify, we'll give them a pre-approval. But the pre-approval, um, it's exactly what it sounds like, a pre-approval. It is, it's just the, the lender's way of telling the client that based on everything the client has told us, he should qualify for a loan. But until you actually get that approval or commitment, um, it doesn't really hold much merit to it. All right, we're going to pick up on that point when we come back. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Spencer Corrente from Guard Hill Financial and Mortgage Broker Service here in New York. And we were talking about when you first apply for a mortgage. You decide you're going out to get a, a buy an apartment. And a lot of us work with first-time buyers as well as, you know, people who have bought and sold before. But the mortgage process is basically the same. But what I find very interesting, and I'm going through this now uh, with, with a couple of people you know, it, it's kind of almost like taking them to the dentist and having their teeth pulled because they seem to be fearful. There's a little bit of, I don't want to give you this. I don't want to give you that. I'm afraid to divulge, you know, whatever. But yet I understand what the process of approval is and I understand what I need to do to get from one step to the other. And what a lot of people don't understand is before you put a board package in, whether it's a condo board package or a co-op board package, 
you need a contract signed and you need to have a commitment from the bank. So you can't get the commitment from the bank until the contract is signed, but you can't get the commitment to the bank without giving the banker all the information that he needs to get that fund, that loan funded and, and approved so we can submit it to the board. Now the board says, okay, everything is good to go or not, but at least they have a complete package. So what, you know, what do you see on the, on the getting the information up front basis as any particular problems or obstacles? So people give you a hard time giving you the documentation, the, the, whatever you call it, the two, two of each thing. Do you get pro- have problems with that? So, so not really. Um, our clients are, are generally understanding of what they do need to provide us with. And we try to make it as easy as possible for them. So oftentimes, instead of working to get the documentation from the individual client, we'll reach out to their CPA uh, upon the, the client's permission. And we'll just get the, the information from their CPA that way. Um, but generally speaking, once, once they give us the documentation, depending on how busy we are at the time, um, our underwriters could approve the file in, again, anywhere from 48 to, to 72 hours. But with approvals, which is pretty interesting, um, you can be approved subject to conditions. So for example, um, appraisals, right? There's, there's lead time associated with appraisals because we can't order an appraisal until, Matt, were you going to say Oh, something? no, oh, no, oh. sorry. I, was, <laughs> I, I do have no, I do have like a specific, um, I guess, topic that I've been hearing in the mortgage world a lot that I'd love to hear your thoughts on um, that I think people out there would really appreciate. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm finding that a, you know, a big trend in the city are younger, you know, younger and younger people are buying. Um, and on top of that, obviously, as always, there are quite a few international buyers. Absolutely. But I think more so than ever, the international buyers are actually not all cash anymore and they're getting mortgages. And I've had very interesting... I guess experiences with both sides because there's this new, not new thing, but there's this thing called thin credit mm-hmm. that a lot of the banks are really cracking down on. And um, I'd love to just hear your you know, perspective on it because it's creating a lot of problems for people out there. Actually, I can say me specifically as well, um, <laughs> well let's first explain with my what, own purchase. But the, yeah, for everyone out there, thin credit is basically you could have a you know, perfect credit score, but you might just have one credit card. Or you, you know, you might have only three years of credit history, um, and the banks need to, you know, really build that up however they can. Whether that's you know having proof of five to seven years of their rent being paid on time, Con Edison bills being paid on time, but it's really creating issues with how much people are financing. I'm finding, and um, they're requiring people to put down more who have this quote unquote thin credit. So. I'd love to, it's, it's making a big issue. Yeah, it, it definitely is a big issue in the marketplace. Um, as Since Garthill's a banker and a broker, we can both broker our deals out. So in that essence, we'll act as the liaison on a transaction between the capital and then the client. Um, but through our banking channel, we actually underwrite the loan, we process the loan, we close the loan, and then after it closes, we transfer servicing to um, another company. So... What, what when you when you talk about thin credit, what we do is we can we can make exceptions around this thin credit per se. As you said, um, someone might have great credit but only one credit line open. Uh, we have different programs where we can qualify that individual um, based on other factors outside of their credit score. So, for example, and we can get into this further down the line, but um, we deal with a lot of foreign nationals. 
at Guardhill, and uh, especially from from mainland China, as you know, there's capital restrictions over there where individuals can only take out twenty five thousand dollars a year. And as you can imagine, these individuals, these foreign investors, a few years back, they were paying all cash for these multi million dollar apartments, these these units. Um, and now they need to take out mortgages. But because they live in China, um, oftentimes they don't have credit at all. They might, they, they definitely don't have U.S. tax returns. So we would qualify them uh, in a different sense, right? We would, we would talk to their CPA and get reference letters from um, maybe people that, that they have debts with or companies they have debts with. Um, so that, that's one of the ways we can really get around this situation. Um, but a lot of the, the, the retail banks won't lend in that, that regard. But we deal with a lot of portfolio lenders as well who don't necessarily sell the loan on the secondary market. Um, uh, they'll keep it on their books. So they are, they're less risk averse. Um, so they don't need to see a 750 FICO score in order to make that loan. But of course, maybe the, the interest rate might be a little higher because as you know, golden rule, more risk, more reward. If these banks are taking on more risk, they're going to want more reward. And for that reason, they might give you a higher interest rate than uh, if you had a, a perfect package going into to the, the process. Okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you mind if I ask a question? I'm really curious too, in, in, in terms of the industry itself is changing a lot. It used to be when I started in the business that if you worked with a mortgage broker, you could pretty much find a loan through any bank. And I know that's changed a lot. So how has it changed now? I mean, the bigger banks, if I understand correctly, are not using mortgage brokers. Is that correct? And yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. So yeah, could you that. just give me a sense of where are we now with that? So, <clears throat> excuse me. So where we are, is we're, we're in a unique area because as you said, the brokers, mortgage brokers deal with all these different capital sources, but they are the intermediary. They're just connecting the buyer or the, the individual who's refinancing the property with the, uh, with the bank. And the bank is doing all the underwriting and the processing and the bank is closing. So once you're, you're working with a broker who's got you at a specific bank, um, if for one reason or another that bank can't approve the transaction, you're going to have to start from the beginning. Um, but with a mortgage banker, because for I'll use Guardhill as an example, because we're able to process and underwrite the files in our house. And then what we do upon closing is we transfer servicing. So we're essentially selling the loan on the secondary market afterwards. We work with all of the large retail banks. We work with over 50 different investors. Um, so because of that, we're able to, if let's say one investor we wanted to sell the loan to decided that they didn't want to buy the loan anymore, um, we still have two or three investors lined up that we can sell the loan to. Let me ask you something, going back to what you said a minute ago, based on Matt's comment about thin credit, you, you mentioned the word perfect package. What is a perfect package in, in, in today's financial world? Yeah, of course. So I, I guess I was, uh, it was a, a little bit of a, uh, well, a perfect package. There, no, there, no, there is perfect. Yeah, there, perfect. There, there is a such thing as a perfect package. You're, you got to think um, maybe an 800 credit score, right? Someone's credit is extremely high. Um, when you're dealing with income and you're looking through an individual's income, it's sometimes tough to, to decide or determine how much the individual actually makes. Because if someone owns a company, let's say someone owns a lot of real estate, they could tell you that they make $200,000 a year, right? Maybe $500,000 a year. 
But when you look at their tax returns, because maybe they own so many properties, they're they're taking out depreciation. Um, so their tax returns actually report them taking in a loss, right? So I guess a, a, a perfect package um, with with the parentheses around the perfect would be 800 credit score, um, somewhere around that line, and then solid income where where an individual is salaried making maybe getting a pay stub every two weeks to every month it's it's just easier that way it's easier to to dive into uh the income and show the bank what the client's making what about debt to income so debt to income ratio yeah um anything i would say under uh, a 43 percent debt to income that is where really like fannie mae is right now that they might have changed it recently no i think that's where they are but what's interesting to me on that is because co-ops, for the most point, uh, most part, um, look at anything twenty-five and under. Exactly. So and we, we what's that disparity? So we've run into a few situations actually where the clients approve to get a mortgage with us, but they don't get the approval from the co-op board. So they either need to to pay more upfront, uh, increase their down payment, or they might have to find a, a different property. What's special today at uh, Guard Hill? Do you have any special programs? I mean, we're all in competition in between financial institutions, brokers, you know, different uh, sets of business. Where does or how does Guard Hill stand out among the crowd of many banks and many mortgage brokers out there? Because you guys have been around for 25 years. You are super successful. What's the differentiator? Yeah, there are definitely many differentiators. Um you know, we get most of our, if not all of our business from referrals. We don't have branches on every corner. Uh, we're not actively marketing. So we pride ourselves off of the job we do. Uh, once we do a good job, uh, the, the people who we work with throughout the transaction, real estate brokers, attorneys, even financial advisors, um, they oftentimes refer us to other clients of theirs. So what really differentiates Guardhill is the fact that we have both that banker and the broker channel. Um, and we do work with over 50 lenders so that we can really find a home for any situation. When you're dealing with, um, when you're dealing with a cookie cutter loan, Fannie Mae loan, um, any, any bank, any establishment can really loan, lend to that. But when you're dealing with New York City real estate in these condos, in these co-ops, especially with um, individuals who might not have the strongest credit or might not report income as, as strong as, as they think they would report it. Um, we work with these lenders who, as I mentioned before, they're, they're portfolio lenders and our, our management has great relationships with these smaller banks. And, you know, we work with the retail banks, we work with regional banks, um, and we are able to, to talk to these regional banks to, have them make exceptions for buyers. And because everything's done in-house, we our office is right next to Grand Central Station. We do processing, underwriting, closing, the origination's done across the hall. Communication's really seamless, where a, a lot of other times at these places, at um, other institutions who are lending money, um, it could be a, a large bank, right, with their processor sitting in a different state. They might not understand the market. They might not even know what a co-op is. Yeah, it's, that's so difficult when you have someone in Ohio or Arizona or Minnesota, which a lot of the large banks do have their underwriters sitting at a, 
they have like no clue what you're talking about. It's like a foreign. It's yeah, like a foreign, exactly. It's like a, foreign, it's like a different. It gets planet. pretty frustrating. Let at me times. ask you a question. Um, do you have you seen like an emergence of like these super small mom and pop type banks like trying to undercut everybody and kind of giving out what you would deem like a risky loan because that's you know because uh, probably like five or six years ago mortgage brokers weren't so prevalent, I guess, right? Coming out of the crisis, we were seeing more like joint venture type things with uh, smaller, I guess, brokers, but they were partnered up with like a Wells Fargo or a Chase or something, which they've been phased out. But um, what I noticed probably like a year and a half, two years ago is a mortgage brokers offering very, very um, low rates, like very, very kind of um, almost almost like uh, you'd like raise an eyebrow and be like, what's that? But they say they can, they can make these things happen for certain, certain clients or if your clients' uh, financials are kind of weird, like you were saying, um, they make exceptions. Like, have you been seeing that? Um, so I personally haven't really been seeing smaller mom-and-pop banks try to undercut the mortgage market, so to speak. Um, I do love talking about the rate game, right? Like when, when people talk about rates, someone can, someone can tell you they'll get you, they could get you a 2% rate on a 30 year fixed mortgage, but then they fail to tell you that you're also going to have to pay four points up front, right? So anyone can quote rates. Um, it's not a matter of quoting them, but rather a matter of delivering. So no, go ahead. Um, you're right. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, look, if, if I was, getting a mortgage, that would be one of the first things I'd like to know as well, because at the end of the day, you're it, depending on whether or not you get a 30-year fixed rate or a 10-year arm, um, you're going to be making these payments for quite some time. Um, but if you don't get the mortgage, you're not going to be making the payment. So you also really have to make sure you're working with uh, an institution that you want to work with, uh, you feel comfortable working with. And it's a, it could be a 30 to 60-day process to get a mortgage. Uh, you have to be willing to work with that individual, the mortgage specialist for that amount of time. Um, and you have to be confident in their ability to deliver that mortgage. All right. Um, well, in light of the, the 2008 financial crisis of almost nine years ago already, uh, the world has changed in banking. So uh, new criteria, new everything. So um, I'm happy, though, to see that we're back using more mortgage brokers than we have been in the past couple of years, as I said at the top of the show, going directly to bankers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, I always felt more comfortable with being able to shop my personal package around to find the best and Of course, people like options, and people that's what like they options. deliver. All right, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk about white, white glove buildings. We'll leave it there. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Stay with us. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. 
Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. And I'm here with Sean McPeak from Compass, uh, Phil Horrigan, <clears throat> excuse me, leasebreak.com, and Matthew Cohen from Core, and Spencer Corrente from Guard Hill is going to stick around for a while. So we talked at the top of the show about white glove buildings. And so if you hear the term white glove building and immediately think of Downton Abbey and its uh, armies of sta- uh, servants, you are not so far off. White glove refers to the highest caliber of top-of-the-line ap- apartment buildings here in New York City where the doormen have always worn uh, a very dignified uniform and wore white gloves. It is also possibly a subliminal, re- subliminal reference to how immaculately uh, handled these buildings are and how they are maintained. Traditionally, white glove buildings have been located on Park and Fifth Avenues on the east side, Central Park West, and Riverside Drive on the west side. The concept of a doorman and an apartment where very rich people live in a very new, was a very New York thing that emerged coming out of the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties. The old townhouses that these people used to live in on Park Avenue and Fifth Avenue began to be torn down, and the idea that very wealthy people would give up a private home and move into an apartment building, you had to make that apartment building very special. So for the most part, they were 9, 10, 12 rooms, full floors, fancy doormen in, in fancy uniforms, white gloves. They felt like they left their homes, their servants, and now they can live in a building where they get the same treatment. These buildings sound complicated and difficult and possibly with very difficult boards today to get in if that still exists. What's your thought and have you played around at all in white glove buildings? We were just talking about this during the break. I, I actually, I mean, to take a whole different perspective on the topic, I think that doormen are just really special people. Um, doormen and women, don't want to generalize. I agree. Um, you know, I love when you go to these buildings on the Upper East Side or the Upper West Side, uh, to your point, quote unquote, white glove buildings, um, and you talk to the doormen and they've been there for 20 to 30 to 40 years. There's just That's just so incredible to me because... You know, talk about someone who's really, you know, giving is just not selfish and almost giving their life to the people who live in that building and doing anything that they can Total service. for them. I think it's really amazing. Yeah, I mean, in my building, they say yes to almost anything you ask for. I mean, <clears throat> we, had to, we had to get rid of like a large bed and mattress. And I was just kind of saying to them, how do we get rid of this huge thing? I got a call a guy to like, we'll take it right now. And they just made mm-hmm. it disappear in a couple mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> um, the, uh, the white glove now, I feel like that is almost more like a marketing thing to signal high-end service. That is where I've seen, like even some new condos we were talking about where they may have, where the dorm may have white gloves. It's kind of signaling to those consumers and brokers, hey, this is a very high-end type of building, you know? Um, but to your point about you asked whether those buildings are harder to get into. Yeah, I would bet 
that if we, and no one's done this, I'm sure, but if you look at all of the buildings in the city right now that have white, that where the doormen wear white gloves, I would bet that those tend to be harder to get into because they probably be, are on Fifth it, Avenue and Park. Yeah. And, well, it, it, you know. it's based on the locations, as I read before, Park Avenue, Fifth Avenue, Central Park West in some cases. I've never personally lived in a white glove building, uh, but I, I do share Matt's sentiment with the doormen. I'm living in my building 13 years. We have a couple of guys there who have been there for 30 plus years. And it's just, it's not even a security, you know, feeling for me because I, I could easily live in a non-doorman building. I don't really care about that. But what I do like about it is their family. I mean, you see them every day. You see them, you know, in and out every day on weekends, different hours, different shifts. And they just make you feel good with a simple little smile when you pass by them or a simple good morning or good afternoon or good evening. Uh, and you just know that, okay, they're there and they belong there sort of, if you know what I'm saying. And I just feel comfortable because I like that they're there because I like when my family is there, if I'm kind of articulating that clearly enough. I just enjoy having that extension of, of my family. And it makes me feel good to live in, in a doorman building. I don't have to have one, but that I do, I feel good but good about it. Also, do do we all agree that white glove is definitely a New York term? I think it's a very I think it's a New York phrase. Like 100%. if you think about not only buildings, but think about the theater and the ballet and the ushers who wear the white gloves. And I think about it with you know red carpeting and breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, even women you know wearing white gloves with regards to fashion and um, when they would attend high. I don't like gloves thing. in the wintertime, so I'm never going to wear gloves, <laughs> white or, or any color. But Matt, you know, I will I will say to clients, and I'm sure you do too. Like I'll say, oh, that's a white glove building, and I don't mean that the doormen literally are wearing white gloves. I just mean that the service is very high end. You know, well, it's, so it's graduated kind of a, from yeah. initially wearing white gloves to just morphing into well, this is a very high end, very you know Uber kind of wealthy environment. Right. You know. Right. That, that, that's how that's ended. All right, so moving on. Scroll through any New York City rental website and you will be bombarded with listings offering what landlords call concessions, months of free rent, gift cards, and broker fees paid by the landlord. Some tenants have another word for such offers. They call them gimmicks. More than half of New Yorkers are already rent burdened, meaning, any, meaning they devote more than 30% of their income to rent, a recent study found. At that, the Upper East Side is the city's most affordable neighborhood still today. So without mentioning any websites, <laughs> we find all these rental listings. MrLeeSprague.com. Tell me why the Upper East Side still is an affordable neighborhood sure. from a rental perspective. Sure. Bill Oregon. I will. And the other thing is, but you, I also wanted to address what you said there, how some tenants view some of those things as gimmicks. gimmicks. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean, maybe a Starbucks gift card for $25 is a gimmick. But having the broker fee paid by the landlord or giving three months of free rent, I mean, these things are real dollars in, in people's pockets. So I don't, I think that they, a lot of tenants and brokers do view them as real incentives to get people to move into the apartment. Um, the Upper East Side still, I mean, if you just, if you just look at a map, you'll see how big the Upper East Side is. And if you are on the Upper East Side, say versus the Upper West Side, you will notice so many more buildings, tall buildings there. There's so many units. So the Upper East Side by far has the most inventory in the city. And still, even though the Second Avenue subway is making an impact, there still are subway transportation issues, this kind of thing. So when you're on East End Avenue, you're still far from a subway. And that is ultimately uh, what does affect price as well. I also, true, you know, 
the Upper East Side is one of those special neighborhoods because you have such, you know, zoning, um, not zoning issues, but you have very good zoning regulations. Also, you have great building regulations with regards to developers because um, over the last year alone, I've been doing a ton of transactions up there solely, as Phil said, because of the Second Avenue subway. And it's great when you can take clients who are not, you know, the most familiar with it. And they say, I noticed that all the tall buildings are only built on the avenues. And there's something that provides them with a lot of safety, knowing that there's townhouses and multifamilies mid-block. There's something that's more New York about that, I feel. Um, but exactly what Phil said, I mean, I, you know, when they're, it, not for a long time has there been a brand new transportation hub that's been built um, and open successfully. So I, I do think that in the next few years, we'll see a big change on the Upper East, not only with inventory, but also with pricing, because I think you need to give the new subway two to three years to really kick in. I agree. And I, and I, and I agree with the, with the zoning and the, and the building of tall buildings on the avenues versus down the side streets. But here's my concern with that or my issue with that. And I've said this many times on this program. Most of us travel north and south in our in our day. So you're up and down the avenues all the time. Of course, yes, you cross streets and go west and east and east and west and all that stuff. But we're mostly up and down on avenues. So what does that say? I'm an old-time New Yorker. I'm in this town 20-plus years. I miss going up and down on all the avenues and seeing all the mom-and-pop stores along the way, either whether I'm going northbound or I'm going southbound. So you take all those buildings out because they can do that from a zoning perspective, and now they build all these tall skyscrapers. So now think about your view and think about the aesthetic as you're in a cab, in a car, whatever you're doing, and you're zipping up or down an avenue, and all you see now is all these new builds. But you're but you're implying that all the new builds have retail that they're putting you know bigger corporations into. The retail in some cases is there, but it's not the same. It's it's the aesthetic. No, no, it's no the but I'm saying you're implying that they're going to change the retail of all those new buildings. <laughs> Correct. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think that the grade, I think it goes without saying that anywhere in, you know, in New York City, any borough, you know, Brooklyn especially, look at what happened in Williamsburg. I think that you have to realize that even though you have new builds, and I was just talking to one of my favorite brokers in the business is Adam Heller, um, who started the Heller organization. He is, you know, the king of doing these big rental projects. Like he's doing one on Fulton and he also does the retail leasing of it. And we always talk about how, you know what, it's a good and bad thing because I believe that, you know, those big retail players like CVS, like Whole Foods, like Dwayne Reed, they will come into those corners. But even mid-avenue, like mid, you know, between, say, if you're between like 80th and 81st on 3rd, you know, you're going to see the corners maybe have big names. But the middle usually stays mom and pop still because they're still multifamilies. It's still hard to, it's still hard for developers to buy out those buildings and make the numbers work. You know, it's so funny you say that. I was just recently passing by in, in, in a car and I saw, I forgot where it was, but it was Midtown somewhere. And the four corners, one corner was Dwayne Reed, one was CVS, which are two pharmacies. And then on the south corner, one was one bank and one was another bank. And I thought, I looked out the window and I said, wow, isn't that interesting? So you're standing on this corner and you're confused about where you want to go. Pick one, right? Is that is that the operative? I mean, is is, is that is that what the plan is? Do I want CVS or do I want Dwayne Reed? Do I want Bank of America? Or do I want Chase? I mean, but those are the best tenants, and those 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 particular companies are the ones that um, identify for. <clears throat> they look for corner. Absolutely. And, um, you know the uh, the landlords want them because those are the best tenants to get if you want to refi your building. 
So, oh, interesting. so if if you want to, if you're looking to refi your building and buy another building, that's or if you're looking to build your building, a la Neiman Marcus Hudson Yards, who was looking to back out of their uh, property and is actively trying to sublease their um, their their anchor, you know, their their anchor location right over there in Hudson Yards, um, that can that can uh, sink, that can destroy financing on one of these super talls. Also, I mean, you know, it it. it um, I think they're basically the only people who could afford these rents these days. I mean, because well, yeah, they jack it up on everybody. I mean, look look at Starbucks. I mean, everybody in East Village hates Starbucks, but they're opening up on St. Marks and Avenue A, and those wow. they're coming in. They're paying twenty two to twenty five thousand dollars a month, and every other landlord up and down St. Marks thinks that their property is worth twenty five grand a month, and then nobody like you know you have all these cool places. But what does it do to all of the really really quaint wonderful coffee shops that have been on St. Marks or Avenue A or in that vicinity for years? You I know mean, that's what people go there and why they live there. Yeah. I mean Starbucks you can go anywhere and people and really have to make care. a decision. You know they have to make a decision for themselves because I'm not um, a Starbucks lover, so I would never go there. But but the point is I don't like when they invade or intrude upon a neighborhood of, like that. Of course not, but to in. Sean's point, um, mm, I you get know, it. these I get tenants it. are triple net tenants usually, yeah. Oh, yeah. and that's the only thing that can pay off these landlords or Absolutely. developers. Well, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example Absolutely. of someone who's um, combating, let's say, uh, Starbucks uh, I got to hold off. I just sure. saw we got 30 seconds. We're, we're out of time for this segment. We're coming right back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back, and Sean will make his point. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York York Yankees. Aliens with Gas is the program you're listening to. We are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. And we're going to play the rest of the Uli John Roth interview on our overtime. And I dig that because you're doing the, the Brady Bunch thing, aren't you? I am. Because <laughs> I have a, a theremin app right. on my phone. So it's not, you know, a real theremin. If anybody knows the Brady Bunch, what I'm talking about. Keep watching the skies. That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Sean. We are back with Phil, and we are back with Matthew and Spencer. And this is our last segment. Um, I cut Sean off. He wanted to make a point just before we went to break. Uh, so a point about um, mom and pop retailers battling, um, you know, big box retailers. Um, we were talking about Starbucks in the East Village. Uh, you have you have um, outfits like uh, the Bean, for instance, and they brought in outside investors, and now the Bean is aggressively spreading across the East Village um, with very large corner locations. So they have one on Fourth Avenue and uh, I think Eleventh Street. Um, they're on they're on Lower Second Avenue. Um, they have an awesome location uh, off Bedford in uh, Williamsburg. Maybe I'll get a sponsorship after this. But uh, they're no, they're they're aggressively spreading. They they brought in outside investors, so. Um, you know, so it, I wouldn't cry for the mom and pop shops. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna survive, you're gonna have to evolve. And uh, I think like a store like that is doing it. Um, and then you have other places coming in, like Blue Bottle and Fika. And all look, it's also stuff. progress. And I mean, you know, we don't want to stop the world. We don't want to stop business. We don't want to stop progress. I get it. But um, but also know, just I'm, a little bit of the old. I'm world. I'm proud to say though to defend us New Yorkers and to defend the city because I feel like. The talk of corporations versus mom and pop is always a conversation. Oh, and always um, will be. Every suburb you go to outside of New York, every suburb, whether you're on the West Coast, you're in Central America, every new building or every you know new retail space is always taken over by a bank. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, no, this is not just a New York thing. It's, it's you know, unfortunately, this is a global. They're going to recede, though. I think uh, a lot of the banks are. Uh, there's there's a trend with banks also that they're actually. Backing out of the retail spaces because they're doing a lot of their banks. Di- they're doing a lot of their uh, business digitally. Yeah. Well, here's the question. Okay, not that I want to belabor this point, but but for another second or so. But he, so so they start pulling back. Okay, so now what happens to all these retail corners that are Starbucks right in there? Starbucks moves right in. Well, <laughs> no. Now I think about you know the city not being able to afford the city, meaning other small business owners, not being able to afford these corner properties because the landlords have gotten so spoiled through the years with very, very high rents. Right. Who's going to take over these then places? And the rents will come down. I mean, if people aren't, you know, if the, if the banks aren't there, if the banks were the ones that were affording it and well, no one else was correct. affording it, then they will have to drop. That's why I'm a believer in the market forces. You know, I mean, sometimes you have to... Well, shifting. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. sometimes you have to obviously have zoning restrictions, that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, like, I, I think that, look... There'll be like a there'll be a time when people say no more banks, no more Starbucks. Let's get the mom and pops back in. I do believe that. Oh, look, the Starbucks wouldn't be out there if consumers weren't there buying the coffee. I and they have you know? to in, in in the event that they they sit empty and they can't do anything with them. They the landlord has to do separations. They have to you know separate the space. They have to make it two instead of one. Right. And that's right. um and that's reality. Right. There's even there's even a, I'll I'll give you a quick little story about um a landlord who had a bank back out of a corner retail deal, small one. Um and then they they end up letting a uh, mixology uh, bar come in, right? The mixology bar ended up not being able to come through with um all their investors, so their uh, their investors backed out. The landlord actually invested in the mixology bar so they could open up in order for the landlord to refinance his own building. It's also wait. It's also really good to note for everyone out there. New York is they are trying on the commercial retail side to make New York mo- more like Asian cities because if you notice, a lot of the retail is now going below ground, mm-hmm. and you know to areas like. 
um, under the plaza, you have the great retail area now under oh, Columbus Circle. Court, the food center but under that, the plaza is wonderful. But that's a great thing, actually, because rents are much that, cheaper. That is. And yeah. I mean, all of society in places like Japan and Beijing, their you know, biggest mom and pop, biggest restaurants are below ground. So well, I think but, it's, before it's the trade centers came tumbling down i mean that underground city was unbelievable with you name it it was under those those towers it was amazing i used to work in that location in those days and i was always down there for something all right let's move on renting in new york city is a tricky and pricey enough experience without adding the broker fee sticker shock while theoretically you can get lucky and secure a no fee rental the bulk of available apartments have some sort of broker fee attached and as a renter you're responsible for paying it those fees usually range anywhere from 12 to 15% of an annual rent. And for example, that means if you're renting something at $2,500 per month, you're going to be paying anywhere from $3,600 to $4,500 for a broker fee. We've all been in the rental business. We continue to be in the rental business. We all get continued pushback on, I don't want to pay a renter fee, a broker fee. If you're a, What's happening? Um, well, first of all, if you're a consumer, and I always would say this as an agent when working with a client, you definitely want to be willing to look at apartments with broker fees because, as you as you said, that's most of the inventory. But you want to look at the total package, the total rent, the total. You know, what is this going to cost me on a monthly basis? Because sometimes, when you include the broker fee in, especially if you're going to sign a two-year lease, mm-hmm. your monthly rent is actually more affordable when you include the broker fee than if you would say go directly to a building or not use an agent. It just depends on the situation. Ultimately, the reason why landlords use brokers is because they're essentially outsourcing the marketing. They're not paying a dime in marketing. And so they're able to to lower the rent. The rent, so, I mean, I'm talking about big picture here. So if all of a sudden all the landlords had to start paying broker fees, you could be sure that the rents would probably start to go up. So I'm just saying you really, as a consumer, some consumers just say, they don't I don't see want that, to look. I, they, I agree with they you, they but they don't see that. Fee. No, they don't. And, but I, I do think they're getting a little more savvy, I hope. Because it really, and I was making them more savvy as all these different deals. I have to calculate now everything. You know, there's three months free. There's, you know, a broker fee being paid. Well, you know what cracks me up? 13-month lease with one month free. Hello, is that not your standard 12-month lease? No, but it's but you are getting a deal still. You are getting a deal. And I know? think and I think Phil makes a good point that it's situational on the tenant side, in my opinion, and that it has to do with the market. I mean, we're in a market right now where there is a lot of incentives and from landlords, and there's a lot of no fee situations. Um, so you know, there when they when tenants are weighing their options, it's easier to go with the choice of what's cheaper. But also, I mean, Jesus, from my own life, um, I, I can't help but use the example that my my sub agent and I, who's one of my closest friends, we were trying to do my cousin a favor and help her find an apartment around Columbia because she's starting grad school there. And for the last two months, she would say, I'll do it on my own. I'll do it on my own. You know, I don't need help. I don't want to pay any fees. I'm poor as it is, you know, poor student. Um, and then I just heard from her last week and she still hasn't found a place and she's now crying and, um, you know, just she doesn't have the time. So situational, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you don't have the knowledge, pay someone, get it done for you. I mean, you know, I, I guess it, to sound harsh, but suck it up and, you know, just pay the fee because it's easier to pay someone to get it done correctly. I, I 100% agree with you. You know, the, the issues we have, though, sometimes on the rental side is in 
condo exclusives, okay, which is the only rentals that I really get involved in because I, I list a lot of condos. And so occasionally they rent. And then with the board package and the managing agent fees and then the broker fee and then the first month's rent and then the, the security deposit, you're talking in some cases for studios or one bedrooms, you know, people have to come up with tens of thousands of dollars, 10, 12, 9, 8, 11. I mean, you know, if you're a first time whatever, that isn't going to work. I just got signaled. We are out of time. Thank you for uh, being here today. Thanks to my guest, Spencer, as always. We'll be back next week. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management. Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We all can use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash VA health and register for free. You can try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash VA health.